I invite you this morning to uh, turn into your Bibles to Exodus chapter 17. I forgot to tell you, Anne, can we leave the PowerPoint on? I have the last slide there. I get easily distracted. Yeah, I didn't get too distracted on the pie, did I? <laughs> I'm one of those men that eat and sleep in the kind of pastors. <laughs> oh, hey, we have podcast capabilities. So uh, uh, I have a little microphone on here. Uh, Exodus chapter 17, it's page 71 in your pew Bible. I'd like for everybody to turn to it. It's a great message, uh, one that I don't preach from very often, but would you stand for the reason God's word remains standing for prayer? I have a little uh, title, Water from the Rock. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rithamim, but there was no water for the people of the night, so they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, walk on the head of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you as a rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because he tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Pray with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, once again, we have read the word, and once again, we just ask that you would do whatever it needs to do to uh, work into our lives, that we can not only find our place through the scripture, but Lord, we would recognize it and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Can I have the first slide there? Yes, man. Let me give you a little uh, uh, direction. The people of Israelite uh, came out of Egypt. And I have a couple scriptures that are not up there that you can, I will read it to you. It says in Exodus chapter 13, uh, after leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. Well, Etham is right here. They think. They don't know for sure. <laughs> A lot of these places they don't know, but it all centralizes in this area right here. But they don't really know where these places are for sure. But this is the best that they can come up with trying to put the scripture together like that. 
And in Exodus 14, 2, it says, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hirasoth, between the Migil and the sea. And they are encamped by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Baal-Zephon they have right there. But some people have Baal-Zephon right there. So, uh, once again, they don't really know, but I'm just going to give you that right there. It is while they were there, though, after a couple days of going back and forth here, that the Egyptians and the, the Pharaoh thought, well, this is our chance to get the people back because they're lost. They don't know where they're going. They're just circling around in the wilderness. They don't know how to get out of this area because the real direct route to get to the promised land is this green line right here. And there's the entrance of the promised land. And they weren't going anywhere along the traditional, quick, easy route. So they're lost. And that in Exodus 14, 9, it says the Egyptians, all feral horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped near by the sea of Philhiroth, opposite Beth Zephor. Exodus 15, 22, then the Moses led the Israelites from the Red Sea. And the next slide there. And they believe they crossed the Red Sea right there. They don't know for sure. That's where they believe they crossed the Red Sea, where the sea was dried up. Uh, they, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen's troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped near the sea. Uh, 15, chapter 15. Then Moses led the Israelites from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days he traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Merah, they could not drink the water because it was bitter. That's why they called the place Merah. So they crossed here, and right here is the desert of Shur, right in this area right here. Then they came to Elam, where there's 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camp there near water. Elam is right there. That is the oasis of the desert. This is a, a desert people love their oasis, and that's exactly what Elam is. 12 springs and 70 palm trees. <laughs> 16, chapter 16. The whole Israelite community set out for Elam and came to the desert of Sin which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they came out of Egypt. So they went from Elam to the desert of Sin. And there, this is 45 days after they left Sukkoth right here. Just like this. And then uh, we get to our text. The whole Israelite community set out for the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there is no water for them to drink. Desert of sin, right here, to Rephidim, right there. And this is where the story takes place. 
There's no water for them to drink, so they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? And then he makes this statement. Why do you put the Lord, Jehovah, to the test? Well, that's actually my first point. Where do we find ourselves in the Word of God this morning? In those seven verses. What nugget of truth does God want to dig out, to unearth, or to plant deep within the depths of our soul? It says they left the desert of sin. I always have a, a little fun with the wordplay. I can't always, I always think it's ironic how they use the desert of sin, S I N. That's what they really call it. And, uh, uh, our lives of sin, S-I-N. I, I can't hardly can't get away from the comparison, and I just wonder uh, what goes on in God's mind when he puts this in our minds. <laughs> Finally left the desert of sin. I wonder if that could be said of us today. Have we left our desert of sin? I feel like in our culture, there's this idea that we can manage sin in our life and still expect God's blessing on our lives. I kind of get this idea, this is how the culture that we live in wants to do it. They want to manage the sin, but yet expect God's blessing in our lives. Jesus said it best in Matthew 6.24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then it says you cannot serve both God and money. I wonder if we think only the Israelites are the only ones to put our Lord and Savior, our Father, to the test. Grumbling, complaining, because of a different environment uh, we find ourselves placed in. The new situation we find ourselves in. A new challenge, a different setting. We may not say it out loud anyway, but to even think it and not to say it is no different to the one who knows our every thought, action, and our motives. <laughs> Doesn't matter if we say it or not. He knows our thoughts. Again, uh, I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching at me too. God is dealing with me as he is dealing with you in areas of grumbling and being quietly dissatisfied. It requires the, the same question that Moses presented to the Hebrews of the wilderness can be applied to us on March 15, 2020. Why do you put the Lord your God to the test? Pastors are not immune to grumbling and discontentment. This is the time of the year when Nazarene churches on our district, all 70, at least 76 of us, will come together, or we're supposed to come together. I don't know if we will, actually. I think we'll hear this week if they're going to cancel that. Because there will be a lot of people there. Where a church of 200 is unhappy because it doesn't have the resources of the church with 750. 
or because uh, become so wrapped up and being so small, the pastor misses out on the joy of working hand in hand with the congregation with smaller numbers. We're not immune. That's just one example. That's a pastor's example. But there's so this message is so much broader than that. It's discontentment, grumbling, even if it's inwardly about your spouse, <coughs> children, your place of employment, the house you live in, the car you drive. Can we be happy with God, what God has provided? Can we be content in what God is doing in our lives? Water is a basic need to our lives, and especially the desert dwellers. I know we're desert dwellers here, but it's not the same when we have our water piped in. <laughs> we have water. Thank you, Lord. But water is our basic need, isn't it? The Israelite nation, with all of its livestock, making all the dust and, and coming from desert living, and after a few days of no water, oh my, and no water in sight. Can, you, can we put ourselves in their shoes, plant sandals, for a moment? I, uh, it's hard for us to imagine where we have green grass and uh, I could drive to Moses Lake and not even realize it's arid. I could go through the country and see all these circles and all the hay and all of the corn. Not now, of course, but I can. I live right here and I don't even get any dust anymore because we have the apartments here. I mean, I don't even have any dust anymore to speak of. But can you imagine being in the desert three days with all of the livestock? You know, my mind's eye tells me that they are constantly bellowing the cows. Every animal is thirsty. Every animal wants a drink of water. And then not nonstop, morning and night, the noise that livestock making. And then you got Family, children, how would we respond if that was happening to us, our children? Yeah, I think we're on one of my thoughts. Would we sell out to the temptation to grumble? Let me ask you this. Has God ever failed you? Is there anything too difficult that he's so small he can't handle it? Do we take the ball into our own hands or do we allow God to work out his time? Contentment and God's provision. Paul, the Apostle Paul, had a handle on contentment. In Philippians 4.11, Paul states it. He says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then he says, 
I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Amen. Allowing God to be God in our lives. Christ followers, when you are walking hand in hand with our Lord and Savior, with our sovereign God, God will take care of you. He will meet your needs like he had taken care of the Israelite nation. The impossible becomes possible through God. That brings me to my second point. God speaking. Verse 6. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Oh my. Friends. Do you have a hard spot today that you're facing? Are you faced with a difficult situation and you don't know what to do? Are you faced with an impossible task? Stop. Hold out your hand. Feel the fingertips of your father who is right there beside you going through this situation with you. Hear him say, I will stand there before you at the rock before him. Hear him say, I will stand beside you through your hard, difficult place right now. Is your place hard tomorrow? Speaking to the words of Jesus again, Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your lives if you will eat or drink. Or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and your body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. I love to look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store in the barn, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. I've never seen a worried bird. I've never seen the feathers go like this. And God takes care of him. And we, <laughs> we even go there. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? So why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow, they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the fields, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Don't worry about how much toilet paper you have in your <laughs> God will take care of all of these things and your Heavenly Father knows you need them. But listen to this. Matthew 6, 33, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
When, we're, when in our relationship with Jesus will we know that we know that we know that we know that our Heavenly Father, that Jesus Christ is always with us? Exodus 7, 77. And he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled. Because they test the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? I think, no. I know what God wants from us. He wants to be God in our life. Period. He wants us to depend on his ability to take care of us and our needs. He wants us to trust his sovereignty in every situation in our lives. Our Heavenly Father wants to be Uno number one in our lives. All else Jesus, Jesus made all that possible for what the work he did on the cross. He made the avenue that we can be right. And that's what we are going to celebrate today, communion. And it's a time of thankfulness, a time of recognizing what Jesus Christ has done for us. And I invited Kay if she would help me once again. Uh, we do not have closed communion. And I'm going to be standing right here to invite you to receive the elements of communion. But for whatever the reason you'd like to stay in the pew, pay at the table serve you. So by your heads and please, Heavenly Father, Lord, I think of uh, the message of uh, not asking you to discontentment growing and realizing because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross we can have a restored relationship a wholeness a whole person right before you because of what Jesus Christ did so Father we do not take uh, the elements of uh, the broken body and the shed blood flippantly. But with thanksgiving in our hearts. Because Lord, we realize that you took our place on the cross. So we say thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Bless us, Holy Spirit.